All right, the title of our talk this morning is Partnering with God. Uh, most of us know that when Jesus was walking the face of the earth, he had 12 apostles, but he had lots of disciples. Um, and I know apostles and disciples, those two words are kind of interchangeable a lot of times, and that's totally okay. But the point being is he had many, many others following him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in addition to the 12 apostles. Uh, let me give you an example. In Luke chapter 8, um, verse 1, uh, let me read it to you. It reads like this. Soon afterwards, Jesus began a tour of nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women he had healed and from whom he had cast out evil spirits. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. So there was a, a group of ladies that would help that would serve uh, and contribute to the needs of Jesus and the disciples. In addition to them, let me read a different group of people. In Luke chapter 10, verse 1, it reads like this. The Lord now chose 70 other disciples and sent them on ahead in pairs to all the towns and villages he planned to visit later. These were his instructions to them. Plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers to help you. For the harvest is so plentiful and the workers are so few. So what he was saying was, look, uh, I can send two of you over here, two of you over there, uh, two over here. Prepare for us. We'll be there soon. But pray that we have more to send out. In other words, I'd love to be able to send 50 to this city, 50 to that city. This is a bigger city. I'd love to be able to send 70 over here, maybe 20 over here. But because the workers are few, I can only send two at a time. You see, there are some people that when they acknowledge Jesus as their Lord and Savior... That is where their relationship with Jesus starts and stalls. They accept the free gift of salvation, but the relationship never goes any further than that. It's not a terrible thing because you still have an address in heaven. Uh, and by far and away, that's the most important thing in the world. But there's another category of people that say... Thank you so much for what you've done for me. In fact, what you've done for me is by far the greatest thing that has ever happened to me or could have ever happened to me. I want to partner with you. Whatever it is that you're doing on this earth, I want to partner with you. So there was a clan, a group, in some cases, a multitude of people that did what they had to do to put food on the table, 
but devoted their lives to partnering with the Lord. The message this morning is to talk to those of you in this room that have a desire to partner with God. I've got an eight-year-old son, and he's got big plans. Uh, he, he plans, I said, do you want to help me with the church one day? And he said, well, I've got to play professional basketball, professional football, and then professional baseball, and then I might help. <laughs> I'm like, great. You see, when you hit a certain age, you, you've almost skied it, jumped it, and bought the t-shirt in enough areas to where you realize none of those things are ever going to fulfill you. And you want to be a part of something that's greater than you, something that is going to outlive anyone, something that's divine, something that's powerful, something that's awesome. And that can only be partnering with God and what He's doing here on the earth. There's three points I'd like to talk about with you today. Um, and all three of them are questions. So the first question is this. Who has the desire to partner with God? Not everybody has a desire to partner with God. It's a beautiful thing to see a person say, I want to call you my Lord and Savior. But it's a special thing. Even beyond the beauty of giving your life to the Lord, it's a special thing to say, I have a desire to partner with you. You know, I've got some earmuffs here. Um, you know, the Bible says that no man comes to the Father unless drawn by the Son. And so the moment that you decide to say, you're my Lord and Savior, you don't hear God out loud, at least most of us don't. We hear Him right down in here. But the plans that He has for you, He calls you in the same way. He pulls you in the same way. But many times... We live our life this way, where we block out any additional relationships with God, any additional experiences or assignments. We've received salvation, we show up to church, but when we walk out of here, we have our own tasks, our own agendas, our own focus on life, and we block everything else out. I want you to know that when you've given your life to the Lord, He's looking at you and He's saying, okay, that's the start. That's the beginning. I want to partner with you. I want to be in your life. I want to go to work with you. I want to be in the car with you. I want to be in the meetings with you. I want to wash the dishes with you. I want to do the laundry with you. I want to experience the highs, experience the lows with you. But at the same time, in parallel, I have an assignment for you. I have, I have a plan for this world, and I don't want you to block me out because I have an assignment for you in that plan and I want to partner with you in that as well. And so this is partnering with you. So the question that I have for you is, do you have a desire for that? It's okay to say, I'll be honest with you, Frankie, I don't. And there have been times in my life where I didn't have the desire either. And I would say to the Lord, God, I know there's going to be a day in heaven where I look back over my life and I think to myself, I could have done so much more. Lord, would you cultivate the desire within me? 
Lord, would you, would you blow on that flame inside of me? Right now it's just an ember. I want it to be a burning flame. Paul told his student Timothy, I want you to fan the flame, cause that desire to be built up. And, and, and there was an Old Testament prophet that said this, I feel like it's fire shot up in my bones. See, there's degrees of passion. There's degrees of desire. And so my question to you this morning is, do you have a desire to partner with the Lord? You know, uh, as a disciple, uh, we do two things as disciples. Number one is we learn. There was a blessing in the Old Testament that people would look at each other and say this, may you be covered with the dust of the rabbi. In other words, while you're following your teacher, I hope that you're following so close behind him that the dust from his feet is actually getting on your clothes. I want you to be that close. So, so disciples, we're constantly in a state of learning, receiving, but then there's that second part that disciples do. We teach what we've learned. We share what we've learned. There's a very important scripture where, where Jesus talks about this. Uh, it's, uh, he says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 27, What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. If you learn something here in these four walls, I want you to walk out there and tell somebody what you experienced. If you're sleeping at night and you have a dream, or you wake up in the morning, or you're walking through your house and you have this moment with God, I want you to share that moment. I want you, don't, don't keep it in here, I want you to share that moment. You see, the, the heart is an interesting thing. The only way to fill your heart is to empty it. If you want to experience more from God, if you want your, and I know I do, if you want your experiences to intensify with the Lord, the only way to fill that tank that you're longing for, that passion tank, the only way to fill it is to concentrate on emptying it, to take the responsibility of looking for people, headhunting people, looking for people to invite to church, looking for people to encourage. I don't know about you, I ask myself about once every couple weeks, Frankie, when was the last time you brought somebody to church? And, and if I don't like the answer, I'll tell God, help me. Help me, bring somebody in my path. I, I, there's no excitement like bringing somebody to church. And, and I'll say that, Lord, help me. Because I know that if I pour out, God will give me more. The, the experiences with God hinge on our experiences with man. If your experiences with man are not, if they're not beneficial spiritually, then your relationship with the Lord is affected by that. But if your experiences with, with man are uplifting and you're imparting in your, your mouth, Ephesians 4.29, do not say one word unless it is helpful for those who are hearing it. And when that is your mindset and you're constantly giving, then you're in a state of receiving. I read this story about a, a group of frogs. They were all hopping along and ribbit, 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 and, and two of them fell into a hole. 
And uh, uh, they were trying to jump up out of the hole. And the other frogs gathered around and, and they all started in their little frog language. You're never going to make it. You're never going to make it. You're never going to make it. And they just kept jumping and they kept jumping and they kept jumping. You're never going to make it. You're never going to make it. And, and finally one of them stopped trying and eventually killed over. The other one just kept jumping and jumping and finally he actually jumped out of the hole and the frogs asked him, didn't you hear us telling you that you couldn't make it? And he goes, well, I'm partially deaf. I thought you were cheering me on. <laughs> you, you know, the, uh, our words have the ability to cause people to jump higher and jump faster. Our words have the ability to push somebody along. I've shared this story before. It's worth sharing again. I went out to lunch with somebody years ago, and there was these two teenage girls sitting at the table, and they were just giggling and playing with their phones, doing what girls do. And, 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 and one of the guys that I was with asked the teenage girls, what do you guys want to do when you get older? And, and the girls said, well, we want to marry somebody rich. And we were all sitting there like, seriously? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> and he said something I'll never forget. He goes, why don't you marry somebody poor and get rich together? I'm telling you, when, when a woman says something to a man, man, I, you can do it. You know, if I'm walking around mowing the grass and my wife tells me, I looked out the window and I saw you mowing the grass and whoo. I'm going to go back out there and mow it again. We got, we got the power to lift people up. We got the power to pull people down. You know, this is, this is a responsibility that we have. So here's, here's the question. Are we sharing that responsibility? Are we sharing what we have learned in secret? One of the, the revelations that's been really alive in me lately, I heard it when I was a kid, but for some reason over the last two weeks, it's really been alive. There's a scripture, I talked about it last Sunday, uh, in Proverbs chapter 27, 24, verse 16, it says, though the righteous, everybody say righteous, though the righteous may fail seven times, he gets back up. Now, the reason why... I like that scripture so much is typically you don't think of a righteous person failing. But the Bible actually defines a righteous person as somebody who fails. And do you know why? Because you and I are not righteous by what we do. We are righteous because of what he has done. When Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, he paid for our sins, and so it went into the future. The Bible says that he knew you while you were in your mother's womb, which means he's, you guys have met before. 
It didn't say he saw you. It says that he knew you. Anyway, that's another story. But he knew you, and he was like, man, Frankie is going to sin a lot. But what Jesus just did is so right. Why are you laughing? <laughs> what, what Jesus just did is so righteous. I'm going to take his righteousness, which goes against the way we think. His righteousness, and I'm going to put it on you. And now I'm righteous not because of what I did. I'm righteous because of what he did. You are righteous because of what he did. If you fall seven times, you're not any more or any less righteous because you cannot cause any righteousness to be built up on you. Here's the way I'd like to illustrate it. Um, uh, let me think here. Yes, yes, yes. Come on up here. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I've never done this before, so let's see how this works. I didn't even do this during the first service, but I just thought of it. Okay, what I want you to do, and you can, feel free to get a running start if you'd like. Um, <laughs> what I want you to do is, you see that, that Panasonic uh, projector right there? I want you to just run up, the, run up and just tap it. So, here, I'll get the chair out of the way. But, but go ahead. Go, go ahead. I just want you to, don't hit it hard because it'll fall. But just tap it. Go ahead. All right. That's good. That's good. But, uh, but, but go ahead. Take your time. I mean, you can try as many times as you'd like. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, for sure. We ain't got nowhere to go, right? See, see watch this. It, he can jump all day long, and he's never going to touch that thing. Michael Jordan can't touch that. Our ceilings are 30 feet high. Are they 30 feet? 32, thank you. <laughs> I had to ask our chief of staff. But right, 32 feet high. He can jump all day long. And if the, if the deal was this, hey, David, when you hit that, you're righteous. Doesn't matter how many times he jumps. It doesn't matter how many times he tries. He's never going to be able to be righteous on his own. Ever, 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 ever. And so what God did is say, hey, you know what? Stop jumping. Just love my son. That's all I need you to do. That's all I need you to do. Immediately, you're righteous. But I'm going to fall seven times. You're righteous whether you fall one time, two times, three times, four times, five times, six times, seven times. And that does not work for our head. That does not work for our head because we want to back up and go, no, 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 no. Works, works, works. You cannot understand works until you understand grace. Works matter. Works matter a huge deal. We show our faith through our works. So works does matter. But you cannot make yourself righteous. Put your hands together for that. Thank you, David. For me, that is something that I want to share. I, I, it became alive in secret. It's a desire. Do you have a desire? And then point number two is simply this. Do you have a devotion? Who has a devotion to partner with God? 
Now, uh, uh, I heard a basketball coach say this to my son. It was his old basketball coach. And he would say, who can be the greatest the longest? And he made him run up and down the court to, for endurance to build up stamina. And he would say, who, who's going to be the greatest the longest? Who's going to be the greatest the longest? Because anybody can be great for a minute. But who can be great for a while? See, there's a lot of people that can love God and be committed to God on a Sunday morning, but as soon as we walk out there and somebody cuts us off in the parking lot, it's like, hey. <laughs> Who can be devoted to God when it's not convenient? Who can be devoted to God when your ego gets pushed? I was at 24-Hour Fitness a couple years back, and I was walking into 24-Hour Fitness with my phone. I was texting. I wasn't watching where I was going. And this guy walks up to me with a flat-brim hat, and he walks up to me, and he, and he walks right up to me. I was like, oh, excuse me. My bad. And, and he goes, hey, man, around here in this country, you walk to the right. Immediately, that sinful Frankie woke up. <laughs> you know, he's only sleeping. <laughs> Anybody with me? It's like, I'm not that safe, brother. immediately see anybody can be saved here and pursue God here but but do you have the determination do you have the discipline do you have the devotion to stay through it now because some of you are going to walk up to me in the lobby and say well whatever happened I, I'll tell you what I actually passed that test I was like my bad my bad my bad my bad my bad my bad and he was like yeah 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 I think flat brim hats should be illegal, by the way. <laughs> Just kidding. If you're here today, I'm glad you're here, by the way. I don't know. I always have this thought that they're just going to show up to church every once in a while, but I can't remember what he looks like. But anyway, <laughs> devotion implies giving priority to. A, a disciple who has the devotion who, 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 wants to pry, who wants to partner with the Lord so much that they're willing to give it priority? If you and I lived um, in the Bible days, in the ancient days, and, and we told the apostles, hey, we want in. We want to be a part of what is happening I just want to be up. This is, you know what they would ask you and I to do? They would ask us to do three things. Watch this. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, it means they went to church, and to the fellowship, 
and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, which is communion, and to prayer. Fellowship, eat together, pray together. Hang out with each other, eat with each other, pray with each other. Hang out with each other, eat with each other, pray with each other. Hang out with each other, eat with each other, pray with each other. Now, there's be some that would say, can we do something else? <laughs> no. This is what we as believers do. Watch this. In Acts chapter 5, verse 42, it says that daily they went to the temple and they went from house to house. So if you and I were hanging out with the disciples 2,000 years ago and we looked at Peter, James, and John, we were like, we want in. We want to be a part of this ministry. They would say, in our vernacular, we want you to open up your home and we want you to invite people to your house. And if you feel uncomfortable with that, we want you to go to a restaurant and invite people to come out to a restaurant with you. And we want you to eat together, meet together, and we want you to pray. Do you know that in the year 2016, if there's anybody here that says, I, I'd like, I don't know what God is doing, but I don't want to be consumed with my own world. I, I want to partner with God. My answer to you would be exactly the same. I would say this. Sir, ma'am, assuming you're not just bumping your gums, assuming you really mean what you say you mean, assuming... Because a lot of times people say what they, I, I know there's nobody here like that, but other people are like that. They say something, but they really don't mean it. I would say, sir, ma'am, if you really mean that, what, what we need you to do is meet together, eat together, and pray together. At the end of this message, I am going to be unashamed and uninhibited and ask you to lead a life group. A life group at Celebration is when you meet at a restaurant or your house or a friend's house and you meet together, you eat together, and you pray together. And you say, where did you get that idea? Right out of the Bible. We actually stole it from Paul. <laughs> it's a great idea. And I'm going to ask you to do that. Now, you may say back, well, do you do it? Yes. Do you meet in your home? No. Most people do because they enjoy that. For me, I meet at a restaurant and I get a private room and me and some guys, we get together and we meet. But 95% of the groups, they meet at homes. And I want you to consider doing that. Because well, what's the commitment? I want you to meet seven times between now and December 31st. Seven. Seven. When? Whenever you want. You like mornings, you get mornings. You like afternoons, you got afternoons. You want weekends, you get weekends. You want to meet at 5 a.m., no one's going to come, but we want you. <laughs> My point is this. The same way people did ministry 2,000 years ago, we do ministry that exact same way today. 
but what is your devotion? What is your desire? Here's the, uh, the, something that's always entertaining for me is there's biblical excuses in the Bible that are very entertaining. In Luke chapter 14, um, verses 15 through 24, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a privilege it would be to get into the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this illustration. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When all was ready, he sent his servant around to notify the guests that it was time for them to arrive. But they all began making excuses. One said he had just bought a field and wanted to expect it. Jesus, I'd like to come, but what had happened was... I bought some property, right? Well, I got to go check it out. That's excuse number one. Excuse number two. He had just bought five pair of oxen and wanted to try them out. Jesus, I can't come because I just bought five pair of oxen. Now, in the first service, I said, now, things like that don't happen today. Wouldn't you know? (laughs) after service this girl came up to me she goes you know my dad wasn't coming to church today but he just bought five head of oxen (laughs) the city's slicker than i am i'm like what's a head of oxen she goes he he bought five ox i was like well why you call him a head of oxen just say you got five ox never mind anyway we got (laughs) and then here's my favorite excuse verse 20 another had just been married That's what it says. And for that reason, he couldn't come. I'd love to come, but uh, it's not going to happen, bro. (laughs) Today, we got different excuses. Excuse number one is fear. We're afraid to meet people we don't know. Excuse number two is time. We don't have the time for it. That excuse really doesn't hold water at celebration because we got morning, we got afternoon, we got evening, we got singles groups, we got couples groups, we've got um, young people groups, we got smart people groups, aka older people groups, um, we we got youth groups. What, what is it? You make time for what you want to make time for. Number three is the unknown. I don't know what's going to happen when I get there. Just know this: when we have training, we tell all of our leaders if it's not fun. They're not coming back, so make sure it's fun. So they plan for fun. Point number three is simply this. Who has the foresight to partner with God? Investing into people is the greatest deposit you will ever make. So I will put 40 hours into work. We'll put 20 hours into drive time a week. We got commutes. We got investments. We got banking. We got savings accounts. We got this. We got that. Do you know the human investment is the greatest investment you can make? It's by far. And it's the first one to get kicked to the curb. Watch this. This is a great quote. People will forget what you said. They will forget what you did. They will never forget how you made them feel. This quote is where I got the title of the message. If I can put one touch of rosy sunset into the life of any man or woman, I shall feel that I have worked with God. Did you guys catch that? When you say something uplifting, you are working with God. When somebody comes into your home or meets you at a restaurant, you are working 
with God. When we send you the outline, all you got to do is read the outline. We tell you exactly what to say. We even give you your jokes. <laughs> we do. Lucky for you, I'm not the one coming up with them. Um, but we give you your jokes. We tell you exactly what to say. And when you lift people up, when people come into your home, they come into the restaurant with you, you are working with God. I'd like for you guys to turn down the lights and why don't you take a look at this video real quick. Mike and Catherine, thanks so much for coming in and visiting with me about life groups. You guys have led a life group with us since the beginning in your home yeah. with young families um, from Celebration Church. <laughs> I think you guys have as many children in your life group as you have adults. <laughs> or more. Or more. <laughs> well, Celebration does some things really well. <laughs> and so I wanted to ask you guys, um, did you feel qualified to lead a group? Or <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I mean, how do you get past that? I mean, I don't know how we got past that, but actually doing it is, is pretty easy because we've got notes to, to follow and we're not doing something that we're not having to figure out what to do. We're following a, a plan and procedure. You know, there's a strategy there for the whole thing that we just need to follow the steps. So it makes it pretty easy if you do that. Yeah. Absolutely. It really does. At, at first, at first blush, it was like, how am I going to do this? You know, right. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, but when, when you see how it's all set up and how there are notes for the sermon that you want to, mm -hmm. you want to present and questions to throw out to your life yeah. group, um, it really makes sense. Wow. It works. Let me ask you this. How do you think, and I don't, I know it sounds sort of awkward, so I'm going to ask this question. You can totally be honest, but do you think God has used you? How do you think God has used you? You know, a lot of people are like, gosh, I'm going to commit to this thing. I'm going to lead a life group. And a lot of times all you see is the work and you don't necessarily see the fruit. And so I would just ask you guys very candidly, I know it's hard work, but have you seen the fruit? Do you feel like there is fruit in leading a life group? I think it's not necessarily so much what we've done as just that we've said, God, we're available. Mm. Come and do what you want to do. Mm. And the Holy Spirit is just moving and, and touching people and encouraging them and, and giving them what they need. We're just kind of facilitating the discussion. That's good. But it's the Holy Spirit that's moving. Well, I um, have a bit of surprise for you guys. We went to your life group and just asked them to share about what their experience has been like. Dear Catherine and Mike, thank you so much for opening your home to us for Life Group. It has enabled our family to make so many amazing friends that will be in our lives for years to come. Your family has been a beacon of excellence for all of us. Life Group has truly made all the difference in our lives. Thank you again for all the hard work you guys have done to bring us all together. Dear Mike and Catherine, we would like to thank you for welcoming us to your Life Group two years ago. Since then, we have grown in so many ways. Your leadership has helped us become more and more comfortable to open up to our hearts. When we call or text you asking for prayers and support, like when our daughter is sick, our travel to the Philippines, Ron's business trips, among others, you're always willing to take the time to pray for us and check on us. We will always be grateful that we have been assigned to join your life group because you are like family to us now. We love you. Franz and Michelle Quijano. 
when life groups came around, we prayed about it and we discussed it extensively and we both said that we felt as if we were being led to join a life group and dig in even further in our faith journey. That is when we were added to Catherine and Mike McCoy's life group. Catherine and Mike were very welcoming to us and made us feel comfortable with the group from the very first meeting. Admittedly, we were nervous because we had never been part of a life group before and we also didn't know how much or how little we would have in common with the others in the group. During the first meeting, we were asked to share a little about ourselves and we shared that we are a blended family with three kids. So we actively deal with the complexities that come with stepchildren, step-parenting relationships. We quickly learned that several others in our group have similar family situations and it was a relief knowing that we weren't the odd couple, so to speak. We finally had others that could relate to the unique struggles that blended families face. Thanks to the Life Group, we not only recognize faces at church and around town, we actually have connections with these people and feel like we have a family in Christ who is looking out for our well-being. We have met so many kind and genuine people here and our lives are truly blessed because of this connection. Did you have any idea day in and day out, week after week, that this kind of work was being done in, in these families? You know, I know that God moves in life groups, mm -hmm. um, but that really touches me a lot. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's more than I knew that God mm -hmm. was doing. Wow. And it's precious. Let me ask you guys this. How are you different people after leaving a life group? You know, before we started leaving, leading life group, we would see faces, but we wouldn't really know sure. those people. And now, you know, I, I don't just see faces. I see friends. I yeah. know their families. I know who their kids are. Yeah. I know what they're going through. Yeah. And I can say, hey, how is You're this believing going? with them for a right. job. Or right. you're trusting That's God right. to move. Right. When I see them at church, I can, um, I can fellowship with them. Ooh. And not just pass each other by, you know, yeah. on the way in and out the door. Right. So we really do have relationships. And I think... You're right. That's probably the biggest change um, is that we really care about each other mm. and we're connected. That's good. There's a, yeah. I mean, a genuine love that you can't, I mean, you just don't affect that stuff. Right. And it's, it's not being just church nice and, and going through motions. It's the real deal. Wow. And so, that's life groups. That's, that's life groups. Yeah. If you're taking notes on your app, your last fill-in is this. Positive people will always have influence. We learn as we live to block out critical people and block out negative people. and We, we learn how to block those people out. But positive people will always have influence. The Lord wants to partner with you in that way. Using your app, I'd like for everybody here to sign up for a life group. Uh, these are the directions right here. Um, if you want to lead a life group, check lead a life group. If you don't want to lead one, you just want to attend one, then you can make that selection. But why don't you go ahead and grab your phones right now. And uh, you can do that right now. And if, if you'd rather do it on a piece of paper, there's a piece of paper right in front of you. Uh, in the seat back in front of you. You can just grab it right there. And um, if you would, turn it into the information desk on the way out. Um, in fact, since we have our ushers back there, if you guys...
could receive them as people are walking out the door. Uh, they can just hand them to you. That'd be very helpful. But go ahead and take a few minutes to complete that form. It'll just take you maybe a minute and a half to do that.